Welcome, listeners, to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, the podcast dedicated to the lighter side of crime fiction. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host. On each episode, I interview an author writing cozy, traditional, or historical mysteries. You won't find mysteries with explicit sex or violence. You will find mysteries with high-quality writing, intriguing plots, and engaging characters. Thanks for listening. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Author Raquel V. Reyes returns to the corner today to chat about Calypso, Corpses, and Cooking, the second Caribbean kitchen mystery. Welcome back, Raquel. Thank you so much for having me. I love your show. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And congratulations uh, for having a short story selected for Best American Mysteries in Suspense, the anthology uh, edited by uh, Steph Cha and Jess Walters. That's that's exciting. Oh, my goodness. So exciting. And it comes out November 1st. (laughs) Super excited. (laughs) How's 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 the experience of of writing uh, short stories different from writing uh, full-length cozy mysteries? Completely different. Um, I love them. I love to read them. I love to write them. Um, I feel it's really good for um, uh, a writer's craft and practice. So um, I, you know, if I'm in the middle of, um, you know, writing a, a, a novel, sometimes the finish line um, seems like it gets further and further away. <laughs> and so if I'm able to write a short story, um, I can get a short story done within a week. You know, I've written, polished, and so forth and so on within a week. And there's such a sense of satisfaction for me as a writer that it really helps keep me motivated for that marathon. You know, novels are marathons, uh, short stories are sprints, you know, and I think you need both of those things to be well-rounded. So So it's not necessarily that they're easier, it's just they sort of uh, exercise different creative muscles. Yeah, they're not easier. <laughs> um, it's a, just a different skill set, honestly. Honestly, it's a different, um, something different that you um, have to draw on uh, in your, from your toolbox. Um, I wish, I'm working on getting better at um, describing that because I've had a couple of people ask if I would do um, a short story um workshop or talk, you know, about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm definitely working on trying to um, refine uh, my way of thinking about it, because so much of what I do is intuitive. So I need to get better at putting uh, those intuitive skills into um, words so that I can share it with others. Well, you you have uh, definitely put your uh, cozy uh, mystery writing skills to good use in Calypso, Corpses and Cooking. Uh, so your, your sleuth, uh, Miriam Quinones-Smith, is, is back after solving her first murder. So tell us what she's up to this time around. Oh, my goodness. Um, I love uh, this opening for this one. I love the opening of Mango Mamba and Murder, too. So, I, you know, what am I saying? But I love it. We start in Halloween. Well, we start a little bit before Halloween. And they're in their living room. And she is, you know, having a bit of a panic because nothing's done. You know, there's no decorations <laughs> up. Everyone in the de- in the neighborhood has decorations up. They're on their way out to a fall festival. You know, their son Manny 
is running after the cat, camo, um, all kinds of fun. I had a lot of fun with, with uh, that. And as always, Miriam is somewhat of a reluctant sleuth. She doesn't necessarily go looking for these things. Um, things happen and uh, her curiosity kind of has to knock at the door a couple of times before she gets engaged to it. <laughs> um, which I think um, for me is what makes her so relatable, you know, and makes her real is because um, I don't know that we all think that we're gonna be these wonderful sleuths and we certainly can be sleuths on the internet. Uh, but I don't know that we would actually do it and confronted with it in real life. So um, that's my little nod to keeping it real is that she is just like, really? <laughs> really? Is this really happening to me? I'm not going to look into it. Nope. Not going to, not going to, not going to, not going to. Okay. I have to. Okay. Uh, uh, and you, you mentioned that it's uh, set uh right before and at Halloween. And you certainly have this gorgeous Halloween themed uh, cover. I particularly like the pumpkin with the uh, uh, meat cleaver or carving knife yeah. uh, sticking out of it. So I, I'm so, I thought this, when I, they sent me this cover, uh, you know, cause you know, you get kind of like the, the uh, a sketch of it first and then you get a full color version several months later. When I first saw it, I was like, oh my goodness, it glows. I just think the cover has this beautiful, like, you know, luminous uh, quality to it. But yes, I love that it does happen. Uh, it, it takes place um, like a week before uh, Halloween and ends, the story ends at Thanksgiving. So you kind of get that nice fall feeling. Um, Miami's not known for its fall weather. <laughs> we don't have the usual, you know, uh, leaves turning a golden orange and red. Um, but we, but we do do all the regular um, fall things, including fall festivals. Actually, actually, this morning um, I just uh, was driving around and saw the pumpkin truck being, um, uh, you know, unpacked for the um, pumpkin uh, stand at our local neighborhood, and I was like, uh huh. I also know that those pumpkins won't last very long in this heat and rain, but we like to pretend. <laughs> yeah, I think those of us in places, uh, you know, where we have uh, tre trees where the leaves change and things, sometimes forget that fall happens everywhere, not just in, in our neck of the woods. Yeah, it just looks different. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now, another thing that looks a little bit different or a lot of bit different in your book is the idea of food trucks at a country club uh, gala. That's, that's, that's kind of a fun twist on something that's sort of a stereotypically stodgy affair. So what, 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 what inspired that choice? Oh, thank you. I love that. Um, you know, food trucks, um, I, live, I live in Miami, as we've mentioned before, and, and any, most big cities, and I think uh, even middle, medium and smaller cities now, um, you know, they have a nice um, food truck um, culture going on. And anyway, Miriam um, kind of gets handed this uh, fundraiser event that she doesn't want, but she feels like, well, this is, you know, if I don't do it, my mother-in-law will say bad things about me. And if I do do it, there's a slight chance that I can prove her wrong about all the things she says about me. 
So she's kind of in a rock and a hard place, but she has to accept it. Plus also her uh, BFF, um, uh, Alma is like, oh no, you've got to do it because Alma wants to, you know, revamp the whole women's club and um, make it a little bit younger and more professional and, and give it a, you know, better, um, better PR. Um, so she takes it on and um, I loved it just as a way that I could have different uh, dishes for the culinary part of the cozy. Uh, each food truck represents a different island from the Caribbean. So I just enjoyed that little aspect of it um, as uh, something fun to do and a way to bring it in. And what, what are some of your favorite food trucks? Oh my goodness. Um, so if I, I was out this morning, I saw the pumpkin truck and <laughs> I saw a new food truck that I hadn't seen, which was a Haitian food truck. And I'm like, mm. they weren't open. And I was like, oh my goodness, when are you going to be open? Haitian food is so delicious. So, so, so delicious. I've got to try that. Um, you know, we've got some really fun, creative ones uh, down here. Uh, we have um, in Miami, there is, of course, um, Asian food, but we may not have um, as many Asian restaurants. So we have our fair share of sushi places, but um, we're just now getting, um, you know, Korean and Vietnamese. And so whenever we get, to, whenever I see one of those food trucks, I'm always like, oh, let me stop. <laughs> let, you know. <laughs> Let me get some now because um, actually I was even, I was like, oh, I wish I had good Chinese to order. We've lost a lot of our kind of Chinese uh, takeout, you know? Uh -oh. Yeah. Uh, and what's, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about what Haitian food is like. So you know, Haitian food is very much influenced by um, the French because they were colonized by the French. Um, they have delicious sauces but they're also very much um, Caribbean because they had the heat, you know, um, the same um, peppers that grow in Jamaica grow in Haiti. And so there is a lovely heat to Haitian food, but it, it's kind of like all of the wonderful technique that you would get from classic French, but put in that tropical location with our tropical, um, you know. So instead of pommes frites, which uh, French fries, which I know I'm saying mispronouncing it terribly, um, you're gonna have those same things, but you're gonna have them um, made with uh, tostones, uh, I mean plantains. So they're um, banana frites and just great sauces and just really, delicious foods, really layered, layered flavors. It's good stuff. Hey, you mentioned peppers and you do, you do talk about uh, peppers in your, your book. Not all peppers are the same, but at the, uh, you talk about a, a scotch pepper. So what's, what's scotch pepper? Scotch bonnet. Scotch, scotch bonnet. bonnet. Um, yeah. Scotch bonnet. Well, if you've ever had jerk chicken, yes. um, some of that heat is going to be coming from a scotch bonnet pepper. And it looks like a scotch bonnet, you know, kind of like the tam, I think it's called on top oh, of the head. Okay. Yeah. It kind of looks, it kind of has that crinkled looking shape and so forth. Um, 
They're really delicious. You can, uh, I suggest you wear gloves with them for the first time you're handling them or maybe all the time. I mean, people who handle them a lot, I think build up a tolerance, you know, but um, just take the seeds out and slice it thinly and use it that way until you have um, become accustomed to it. Definitely do not pop one in your mouth <laughs> without a glass of milk beside you. Because milk is the only thing really that will quench all those um, pepper oils. Now, now, speaking of food that, you know, if in either in moderation or prepared a certain way is, is tasty and delicious and gives you just the right seasoning, but if it's mishandled, can actually be deadly. Um, your story in, involves a, a food like that. So can, can you talk about it if that doesn't give I, too much away? I can't talk about it too much. I can't give too much away. Um, I, there's some little clues in there early on in the story. Um, and you don't realize until you've actually got, gotten to the end of it where you go, oh, that was what that was. Um, so yeah, there's a couple of different things like that. Um, and uh, read the book, so read, read the story. Read the read story the and yeah, then you'll know. Okay, read, yeah. read the book, that's always, that's book. always the right answer. Yeah. Uh, but, so what's, what's the appeal of, of something that could be both delicious and also toxic? I mean, that's, that's kind of an, an interesting thing, you know, that, that same, that one, thing uh is depending on which way you go with it can either bring you great joy or great misery what what's what's appealing right. about i have i i don't know do you know the answer because i find it i find it fascinating I, you know ev evolution wise how did we figure that out you know how did we figure out that if we prepare it in a different way it isn't as it is not toxic but if we eat it in its raw form it will kill us I mean, that's like a trial and error thing, but I don't know that it's instantaneous. I, I feel like that's observational over generations. I mean, I'm super curious about that. So if there's any um, anthropologist and, and, and uh, I don't know who would know that, evolutionist, I don't know who would know that. Like how did we as humans figure that thing out? Because we've done it multiple times, right? Right, that's true, we have. Um, and yeah, so either, either a, a food anthropologist or a food ways historian might be the, the folks. So if, if anyone out there is, who's listening is a food anthropologist or a food ways historian, uh, please uh, let us know how we figured out that you know something cooked was okay, but eaten raw is the opposite of okay. Well, so I that, think that there must question. be, there must, we must have some, uh, written documentation from other places. Like, you know, some one of the, you know, there must be a clay tablet out there that says <laughs> something that, you know, that says, you know, uh, <laughs> Samuel died after eating this seed. We have decided not to eat that seed. I don't know. There has to, there has to be something. Evolution. <laughs> Or something just fell into somebody's stew pot one day and they well, ate it by accident and survived. It's like, hey, wait a minute. Well, it's the same thing. How did we figure out popcorn? There oh. was dried corn. Was dried corn next to a fire? And it was, you know, and that, and then it popped. Because, you know, you can pop corn on the cob. 
But going back to your story, which is uh, what we're here to talk about, uh, Miriam talks about going to a botanica. So what's a botanica and what kind of services or products does one provide? Sure. Uh, botanicas are in um, many um, Latin um, American uh, communities. They um, serve various purposes, um, kind of the modern day version of a new age store, you know, or, or a metaphysical store for some people. But um, traditionally, they were your pharmacy. Um, there certainly is a spiritual component to many botanicas, um, but they were also where you went and you consulted and, you know, you got a tea for what was ailing you. Or in some cases they were, you know, you thought you're, you wanted your luck to change. And so uh, you went and, got, and consulted, you know, it's, it's um, a bit of uh, therapy and a bit of pharmacy, you know, and a bit of spiritual consult. How about that? It, it feels those, it fills those three things. Um, in the story, um, uh, Miriam's Thea, who um, is very much in the um, faith of, uh, of having um, Orishas and um, Santaria, and that's what she practices. And so you, you hear her say a few things along those lines. Um, but right next door, uh, or a few doors down from their little restaurant is a botanica that um, she, I mentioned it a lot in the first book and also it's in the second book. But, you know, if you're having really, if a lot of bad things are happening to you and you're having, you seem like you're having a, um, a really long, bad a streak of bad luck, um, you know, someone might say, oh, you need to go to the botanica and you need to get a banya. And basically it's an herbal wash, it's an herbal bath um, that just kind of uh, changes your vibe. <laughs> so hopefully your luck will change. And so, yeah, there's a lot of mentions of that uh, throughout my, throughout the series. Now that's, that's a, uh, as you mentioned, a very a traditional thing. Uh, something else that I, th I thought was, was interesting that you use uh, unmanned aerial vehicles or drones um, in your story to good effect. So how do you, So how, that's that's very high tech. So how do you blend that high tech element that you might expect to find in a thriller with uh, things like uh, botanicas and, and uh, food and community and cats, of course, that you know, people more traditionally expect to find in cozies? Well, you know, I think that's just how we live now. I think that's just how we live now. I think that's how um, at least I live. I still have a deep respect for um, the traditions um, that the generation, um, you know, that kind of raised me. I was raised a lot by my um, great grandparents and grandparents um, because both of my parents worked. Um, and so um, I had the benefit of a lot of elders. So, um, you know, I can't live the way they lived, but I can certainly have respect for those things. And also living in Miami, those things are all around us. I remember there used to be something 
I used to pass it on Biscayne Boulevard, which is kind of like the main drag here in the city of Miami. And um, it was called the Spy Shop and it was been there for years. And I remember as a young person being so fascinated, I was like, Spy Shop, what is that? But yeah, they would definitely sell drones. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, you know, um, drones are used quite a bit here um, because we have the beautiful bay. There is a lot of photography done um, on of boats. We have a huge um, uh, uh, yacht uh, thing that happens here, a yacht convention or whatever, you know, the Miami Boat Show. Um, there's drones flying around there all the time. There's been a couple of things in the news about um, drones being illegally used. Uh, so yeah, I picked up on those things and said, oh, that'll fit nicely for what I want to do with my plot. So, so you're sort of bringing cozies into the the current world. Yeah, I love a contemporary cozy. I love a city cozy. Um, I am all for that. Uh, you know, it's just um, I do. I like to keep. I like to keep a little touch of um, the now. Yeah, for sure. Um, as you said, it's, it's it's a contemporary cozy, a city cozy. Of course, it's also a culinary cozy. And so we can't talk about a culinary cozy without talking about the recipes in the book. Okay. So what's your favorite? So there's a flan recipe in there that is really delicious. And I highly encourage people to give flan a try if they haven't. It is not difficult to make. So here's my story about flan. I have never made a flan until I had to develop this recipe for um, the back of the, of, of the book because we can just get flan everywhere here. <laughs> We're really spoiled. We can get delicious flan. We can even get decent flan at our regular grocery store. Wow. You know, like you don't have to make it, right? And in my head somehow, I thought it was this um, awful, terrible thing that took so much uh, skill to make, probably because um, when it was ever made at, at home by home cooks that in my family, it was made, a very large one of them was made. So it was like for a party. And there was also kind of like a little bit of mystique around it. Don't touch it. You save it for the party. Get out of here. You know, that kind of thing that happens when you're uh, preparing a special dish, right? But anyhow, it's super easy to make. Um, you just need to, my, I really believe that you need to have fresh, fresh eggs. Okay. I believe fresh eggs really help. And um, go ahead and buy the expensive brand of eggs. Like, or if you're lucky and you have backdoor chickens or somebody you know has city chickens and you can get fresh ones, but you want to get those eggs that have a yolk that is almost orange, you know, that really, really rich egg. And I think that um, adds a flavor to your uh, flan. You know, I'm looking at your flan recipe. It's uh, Raquel's Califlanza. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, it says it's uh, true to the silky texture of a Cuban style flan. Um, Every, there's several different flans. The Cuban flan um, has a very creamy texture to it, not a gelatin texture. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. So when you put your spoon through it, it's like putting your spoon through cream as opposed to putting your spoon through 
like a cream cheese. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no resistance when you put your spoon through the flan. It's just smooth. It is. It's good. Th this version that I have that has the um, pumpkin flavor in it. Um, I'm not a huge. There is. Um, there's a couple of different flans that you can make. You can make um, uh, flan de queso, which has um, cream cheese in it. You can make um, flan de coco, which has coconut in it. You can make flan de calabaza, which is pumpkin flan, where you actually use that ground up pumpkin and the color is not quite white. It's a little like almost pink orange, just a light, a light pink orange. But that, because pumpkin does have a lot of um, fiber in it, mm -hmm. does change the texture of the flan quite a bit. And I don't like that. <laughs> so in mine, um, I put less pumpkin puree. So you still get the taste and the hint of it without getting the fibrous part of it that changes the texture. And it's, it's, very, it's very much a ball-sounding uh, dessert. Yes. Yeah. Originally, I was going to try to put all, the all of the recipes to have pumpkin in them, but um, I didn't because the Haitian soup that I wanted to put in there Again, like I said, all of those French techniques, I was, it had a lot of <laughs> ingredients. And like one of my um, self-imposed rules for the recipe was that one, it doesn't have so many, it doesn't have a ton of, of, of ingredients. Um, these are all things home cooks can do. And you could probably get most of the ingredients any, at any American grocery store, or at least if there was a specialty thing, you could you know get it through um, an online shopper or whatever. But um, the uh, the pumpkin soup, which is the um, Independence Day soup for Haiti, I've had it. It's delicious, um, but it does have a lot of herbs and all kinds of stuff in it. And I was just like, I'm going to leave that to the professional cooks. <laughs> Now, do, do you develop the recipes for your books? Yes, um, I do because we, you know, plagiarism is wrong and I'm not going to take anyone else's <laughs> recipe. Um, and um, I, I am a home cook. I certainly, you know, I am the cook in my family and I, and I do enjoy it. And so um, after I finish my manuscript and I've sent it off to my editor is when I go into cooking mode. And so I'll, I'll test my recipes a couple different times because, as I've said before, I'm a home cook. I do a dash of this, a pinch of that, but um, that's that I need to give my readers, the you know, something they can work with. <laughs> <laughs> Teaspoon versus tablespoon, right? <laughs> and that, how do you decide which recipes to put in your book? I mean, do you just, do you go with whatever sort of grew out of the story or you have in mind what you want to include in the book sort of before you, before you write the story? Well, while I was writing the uh, Calypso, I kept a, um, tried to keep a list of the foods. I stopped counting when I got to 60. I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, I stopped writing things down just so I could like remember and come back at the end and figure out, okay, which five am I going to choose to put in there? Um, you know, for me, I want them, I want a dish that I can give a little bit of history about. 
that has um, some significance to how it developed in the Caribbean or how it changed in the Caribbean or how it came to the Caribbean. So um, one of the recipes that's in there is um, caldo gallego, which is a lovely uh, stew, which I kind of put that in there for the people who are in colder places who really, you know, um, kind of, you know, sweater weather is also makes stew, right? <laughs> it's like when, yes. you, when you start making all your soups and stews and chowders and all that stuff. Um, so, um, that one, you know, we know its origin, we know what area in Spain it came from, and we know how it changed when it came, um, to the, um, the, the, the island of Cuba and why it changed and so forth and so on. So I love to be able to have that little, um, few lines before the recipe to kind of, um, put it in its historic and culinary and cultural place. So that's that's a little component that goes into it. And then, like I said before, it has to be something that um, the average home cook can make without too much difficulty. And does that sort of tie in with the, having a character who's a food anthropologist, the, including the, the, the sort of historical and background context for the food and Absolutely. letting readers see that it's not just food, there's, there's much more to it? Yes, I wouldn't just put a recipe in just for a recipe. Like, um, I'm not going to put a cupcake recipe in that happens to, like, you know, like a dulce de leche cupcake recipe. They would be delicious and no um, shade on um, cupcake recipes. But um, I, it doesn't fit this character. It doesn't fit the story. It doesn't fit what she's doing. So yeah, you're probably not going to get a dulce de leche cupcake recipe from me in the near future. <laughs> but we have your flan recipe, so. But you have what, what my do flan we need? recipe, <laughs> exactly. And it's really, really good. <laughs> People should try it. But remember, the secret is get those really good eggs. So, and you said uh, if if you find some from someone who actually has yard chickens or city chickens, those are the best eggs to get, right? I do think so. You know. Um, when chickens are out there being happy and eating a diverse palate and marigolds and all those other things, um, you definitely see it in the quality of the egg. So, um, yes, I mean, I'm, I, we have a, a little farmer's market. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll go and I, I've had, a, I've actually gotten a goose egg, which are interesting. Mm. They're, they're they're huge. <laughs> They're an omelet. You know, they, they, you only need one for an omelet. But, oh, and an ostrich egg. I've seen that done, but I didn't buy the ostrich egg. But anyhow, oh. yes, I think that um, eggs from happy chickens also make happy food. So. Well, when you're talking about chickens and eggs, it's always a question of which came first. But talking about your book, I want to ask what's coming next? Um. Book three is um, almost to the editor. It will be, that'll be uh, the project coming soon. I'll be working on recipes uh, for to be enclosed in the back of book three, which takes place in Puerto Rico. I'm so excited about it. Um, and I have, like you had mentioned earlier, um, a short story coming out in um, The Best American Mysteries and Suspense. I'm very excited about that. I have um, two other short stories coming out in anthologies soon. 
um, and a couple of other short stories came out earlier this year. Um, so, yeah, all, all really good stuff. Um, if you people follow me on social media, I try my best to talk about those things, but sometimes, sometimes I do forget. I got to get better at, at uh, promoting and saying all those things. Um, I mostly just, you know, talk about coffee and my cat. <laughs> <laughs> Should probably talk about the stuff I'm doing, my books that are coming out too, shouldn't I? Although coffee and cats is, let's face what it, that's what most of us go to social right? media for. That's that's kind of what we're right? looking for. Food and animals they, well, is, is it, what brings us to the Instagram. It's right, it, and it certainly it you know, yeah, it it makes it makes me happy <laughs> <laughs> because you have a cat too, don't you? I do. I've seen your cat. Yes, I do. Yes. She's actually behaving herself for the moment so you haven't heard like loud meowing in the background so um but i did actually let her have my chair and i'm sitting on a spare chair because um i didn't want to yeah. disturb that, her so. that's life with a cat that's so life with a cat yeah <laughs> and uh speaking of uh, social media where, where on social media can uh can folks find you i am definitely spending a lot of time on instagram uh latina sleuth i'm thinking about doing tiktok um because um I do enjoy it. There's some fun stuff on there. There's some really great stuff on Book Talk. So people, you should go check that out. And then I'm also on um, Facebook. I'm in a group called um, the Cozy Mystery Crew. We're a group of 12 authors. And um, we each take a day um, asking questions and playing games with all of our, our readers and fans. And so you can check me out on Facebook as... Um, Cozy Mystery Crew. You can check me out on Instagram and Twitter and maybe TikTok <laughs> as Latina Sleuth. So if you go on TikTok, will we get to see you uh, preparing some of your recipes? You know, I was actually thinking about maybe doing some videos about short stories because I am a really, I am a really big fan of short story anthologies. And I think you know, I've always, I, I say this, I say, you know, it's where you find your next favorite author because it's like a box of chocolate. It's a chocolate sampler, you know, like, <laughs> you're like, no, I like the nutty one. No, I like the cream ones. No, you know, oh, I like those with the ganache. Okay. That's what an anthology gives you. You get to read these short stories and you go, oh, I like that person's voice. I like that writer's thing. And then you go off and, and you become a fan of their longer works. Yeah, so it's sort of an hors d'oeuvre before the entree. There you go. <laughs> well, I have no doubt that readers will want to read the long form of uh, <laughs> your writing in Calypso, Corpses, and Cooking. Uh, so where can, they, where can they buy a copy? Um, it will be everywhere um, as of October 11th. Uh, it's also going to be coming out on audiobook, which I'm very excited about. We'll have the same voice narrator. Um, but um, get it at your favorite um, independent bookseller if you have one. If you don't, I recommend bookshop.org. If you don't have an independent bookseller in your neighborhood, bookshop.org. Those um, helps uh, go to independent booksellers all over. Or any of your big name ones, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. It should be everywhere. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for uh, coming back to, to chat about your new book and uh, congratulations again on the uh, short story being selected for uh, uh, Best American Mystery and Suspense. Thank you. It's so great talking to you. <laughs>
It's good talking to you as well. It's been so like forever since I've seen anybody. So it's good to talk to you. Wonderful. Hopefully we'll see each other soon. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Raquel V. Reyes chatting about Calypso Corpses and Cooking, her second Caribbean kitchen mystery. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Tune in next time for another chat with an author writing on the lighter side of crime. Until then, goodbye.